All right. So we look here, by way of introduction, God's design for community, right? Called by God in a city, uh, the glory of Christian community. We see God's design for community, and then we'll look at three most important rules of Bible interpretation, and then we'll jump into the text, okay? So first of all, God's design for Christian community. God's design for Christian community. I don't know uh, if you feel a sense of belonging. I hope you do. Um, But a lot of folks go through life without that. I think of uh, the great need that is in uh, foster homes with foster families. Uh, I saw a story this week uh, from a couple years ago, a few years ago, uh, of a young boy named Andy who by uh, age 11 had been through uh, 15 different foster homes and had no sense of, of belonging uh, because of that. Um, the same time, uh, a couple was desiring uh, Jenny and Stephen to find a young man. But by this time, he definitely had trust issues when he was told that uh, a family wanted to adopt him. Uh, he said, it's too good to be true. Uh, you're trying to fool me. Uh, and then the reality sunk in. And Alex found a whole new life with this couple uh, that had a farm. And so they show him playing with the pigs. Uh, so in that case, the prodigal son enjoys the pigs. Uh, but he says, I, I didn't think I was going to find a forever home this good. Uh, what a beautiful story. And we like stories of acceptance, of belonging. There's something in us that uh, longs to see that. From Toy Story, Pixar's Toy Story, with the little boy riding Andy on the bottom of the toy's feet and recognizing they have belonging. Pinocchio, Cinderella, this desire that's rejected by the step family to be accepted by the prince and welcomed into the palace. Right, Pinocchio, it's kind of a longer setting, but this boy does have a family, and a father has a son, uh, but there is a fallenness there. And that is the case with, with all of families. Um, God made family, God made community, God made us to where we desire community, where we desire uh, a belonging, a sense of belonging. It's actually intrinsic in the Trinity itself, Father, Son, and Spirit, to have communion eternally passed with one another, to love one another, Father, Son, and Spirit, to commune with one another, to have a, Jesus said, the glory that I shared with you before the world was, before anything was, Jesus, the Son, shared glory with the Father, the same glory. And so as God creates the world, he creates light and he says, this is good. And he creates vegetables and he says, this is good. Genesis 1.12. Genesis 1.25, beasts. And he says, this is good. Verse 31 of Genesis 1, God saw all that he made and he said, this is good. Then you go on to chapter 2 and he sees Adam and what does he say? This is not good. It is not good for a man to be alone, and so he made a helper suitable for him. And so community is strong in the human heart. The garden itself teaches us to belong to a community. But even that original community fell and was broken. And so we find the first 
child born to that first family, there's a murderer who caused great pain and sorrow in that first community. And so sin destroyed the first garden, the first family, and to this day we see in our hearts a desire for community, but there's this brokenness that keeps us from finding fulfillment in any community with any group of people. We all fall short of God's glory. I think we find this in cities. In cities, since that first garden, you find people wanting to come together and to make a larger group. And, and this city grows and grows and grows, and there's a sense of, I, I want to belong. And so we share the same subway, and we share the same trash, and we share the same water, and we share the same plumbing. We share all of this together. There's this sense of community, but there's a lot of loneliness. There's still loneliness in the human heart. And so I think we find in the, in the church a, a fulfillment of God's purpose for community. We find that in the church, and yet even in the church, it falls short of God's original design, as we'll see today. And so... Kind of the point of the message from the text today is that all of us desire community, and so at times we make cities, but we we long for a deeper community, and so we have families, we long for a deeper community, we have churches, but all of those steps fall short. We desire a deeper community, and that community can only be found in Christ. And so the gospel itself is the solution for our desire for belonging and community. So that's what we'll see today from this, from this passage as God calls us. And so called by God is the glory of Christian community. And that's very true in a city, in a city. So we need to dive into this community where this letter was written to, right? Where, what city was this letter written to? Rome. That one's an easy. Okay, so what do you know about Rome? How many of you have ever been to Rome? All right, we got a handful. How many of you are very Italian? All right, several of you are very Italian. How many of you are somewhat Italian? I don't know what that means. Okay, uh, right? So, so this, is, this is the ancient city. 700 years before Jesus, this place was founded. And, and this, this was a cultural community. To all those in Rome, verse 7. And so really, as we try to understand the letter written to this church in Rome, we do have to understand the cultural context that it was written. Okay, And so we find three rules of Bible interpretation. What are the three rules? Anybody know? The first one is? Close. I'm going I'm to cheat here. Okay. The first one is context, right? The second one is context, and the third one is context, right? And this is just what people say, right? You, you, you have to understand the scriptural context, right? And that would be observing, right, the, the words and phrases around that verse. But then you have a, a biblical context, but you also have a cultural context in which something is written. If I write a letter 
to my mom. It's going to sound different than I write a letter to my wife, or if I write a letter to the editor, or if I write a letter to the church. And, and understanding why I wrote that, when I wrote that, who I wrote that, helps me understand that letter. Okay? And so we've opened up the book of Romans, and we've spent some weeks here, but I've kind of held that out for us until today. And so we got to understand a little bit about these people in this city. And what's really cool about this is you will identify with them 100%. After today, you'll say, wait a second, that's me. <laughs> he wrote that to me. Because that just sounds just like my city. That sounds just like where I go to work. That sounds just like where I'm trying to survive. Okay, so let's look at this. We're going to jump into this and, and see... Uh, this church in a city, uh, and, and we find really the ultimate purpose of community for them because they wanted community in their city just like you want community in your city. Okay, so this is where we are today. We're just going to answer two questions. I try to get a third question in there, but we just don't have time for it. I want to finish on time today. So number one, who are the recipients? And number two, who benefits? Who are the beneficiaries? All right? And so we're answering that question, who, in Bible study. We, we've been dealing with a lot with the what. What does the text say? Now we're answering the question, who. To whom is this written? Who is this talking about? Who are the recipients of this letter? Okay? And so we'll see verse 7 to all those in Rome. That's one answer. But even deeper still, it's to all those in Rome who are called. And see verse 6. I don't know if you can see that little arrow or not. Probably not. Um, do you see it there? You see uh, called, right, in verse 6. Those who are called. And then do you see it again in verse 7? Those who are called to be saints. All right, so the, the main set, or the, the, everyone in Rome, we're going to try to understand who they are. But then, even deeper still, he's writing it to those who are called by God. And that's the comforting truth that we'll take home. Uh, even though we, right, we understand this is really neat to hear for us who are in a city. So, who are the recipients? And then, who are those who are beneficiaries of this letter? So, first of all, who are the recipients of this letter? Let's dive into that. Uh, verse 6, including you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome. To all those in Rome. So we're going to take a visit to Rome for just a few minutes here. That would be so fun. I would really enjoy that. I can't wait to visit Europe with, with Sarah and you visit uh, Palestine and, and Israel and all these places. Uh, it may have to be in the millennium. It may be, I don't know. But, uh, but this would be really fun to visit. So let's take a moment to try to visit Rome at the time of 57 A.D., 57 years after Jesus was born, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, the church in Rome, and we're going to try to put ourselves in their shoes. Okay, so if you're taking notes, you have a few blanks to fill in there, and, and some, I think, just keep you awake, okay? So, the, the main set, first of all, the set of those who are in Rome, that's everyone in Rome, we'll try to understand the city, and then this subset of those in Rome, those who are the called. All right, so let's look at this main set, those who are in Rome. Who, who are you? Well, Rome is, first of all, the capital of the world at that time. Rome was God's planned city. 
Rome was characterized by power, peace, and philosophical freedom. And Rome had emperors who were enemies of Christians. Okay? So let's just take a minute to understand those things. Because when I talk about 2,000 years ago, you're thinking, oh, those, those people were so simple and weak and right, they knew nothing. Now we are sophisticated and we have uh, a beautiful city. Honestly, they're more advanced. Okay, so just push that out of your brain and recognize they're same as us, same as us. Rome was the capital of the ancient world. All right, the, this large empire. The city itself would be 400 to 500,000 people. Spectacular architecture that we look at to this day. Civil engineering in places in Rome. We're talking plumbing. We're talking heated floors, hot and cold water. Heated floors. We just get into that, right? This is a, a beautiful place. All right, so if I were a tour guide and I was saying, go somewhere in Rome today, uh, as far as 57 AD, I would say, you've got to go to a chariot race. All right, to all those in Rome, listen, you've got to go to a chariot race. Belmont Raceway here in Queens draws seats 30, 33,000 people. Great number of people. Right? And, and not quite as much as the Kentucky Derby, but after Kentucky Derby, we have the Belmont. And it's, it's beautiful, right? Brings people from all over the world here to Queens. NASCAR boasts their largest stadium in Bristol, Tennessee, a seating capacity of 146,000 people. That's huge. Screaming cars running around that track. I don't know why they do it. Right, just drive, drive here in Queens, and you feel it. Um, boy, they people can, are starting to drive crazy. It's dangerous because they're watching this stuff. I think. All right, but now we go back to Rome. They have they have a chariot track there that seats. Guess what? Two hundred and fifty thousand people. Right? We, like we just we're not even coming close to what they had. And we think, we are the technologically marvel of the world. Like, we're just, we're just so far behind. And we could go on and on and on, but, but I kind of wonder, like, if, if Paul's really wanting to go to Rome because he's just a city junkie. He just, he loves cities. And he's like, I, I need to get to Rome. I need to get to Rome to, yeah, to preach the gospel, but he also loves cities. And this is the largest city of the, of the ancient times. Um... He wanted to share the gospel, that's why. You know that. A couple, couple other ideas here. God planned this city. The empire was prophesied beforehand in Daniel 500, 600 years before Jesus. And so we remember, pardon my drawing, but, but you, you look at, at Daniel and you find Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Daniel tells you all about Rome. 700 years before Rome, he says all this about Rome. And so we find this is not a mistake. This is not an accident. God planned this. Who was the city planner for Rome? It was God himself. I think this is helpful for us. This is comforting for us when we live in a time when 
when you, you, you feel the tectonic plates of world kingdoms just rumbling, and you're saying, I don't know where this earthquake is going, but it might have some serious ramifications. You see this kingdom saying this about this kingdom, this country about this country, and you can easily fear what's going to happen. Well, you keep reading in Daniel, and you recognize that Jesus is the rock that tumbles all of that. And I'm standing on the rock, the rock who is Christ. And so I don't need to fear these world fightings. I need to rest in Christ. Kings and kingdoms come and go, fighting, failing to and fro. In God's timing, perfect plans, all those trusting understand. And so we trust the Lord, and we find rest in him. Also, we find in Rome this place of power, peace, and philosophical freedom. Again, power. Their power was everywhere. The, 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 the soldiers, the army, it's like our IRS, just everywhere. Right? They're just no way to escape. Not that you want to escape the IRS, but, but you, they wanted to escape Rome. And you see this butting against the, the Roman, like the wanting Messiah because Rome is so oppressive. 250,000 soldiers across the empire. Amazing organization. Throwing down uprisings with public visible force that was nothing less than brutal. This is the crucifixion, right? They see an uprising, they're ready to publicly crucify someone for days on end. And you read about that in history. And so that power brought peace. What's the Latin term? Anybody who's our history buffs? Yes, Pax Romana. Roman peace. We remember it to this day. There's unusual power. The Republic period did not see that. But once switched over with, with Julius Caesar and the emperors after that, they had absolute power. And with that absolute power became a peace that overcame all the empire. Wickedness, but peace. Because they had that absolute power that you didn't have this country warring against this country. is just Rome took over everything. And so there was this peace. And because of that, there was travel. There was easier travel than today. Right now, we're all disjuncted into all these nations, not then. You could go all over the ancient world. All roads lead to Rome, right? You've heard that phrase? That phrase came because it was true, right? They're, the, modern highways, right? We still see their roads to this day, the Roman road system. Army is everywhere, peace is everywhere. But because of that, because you could travel to Athens and Rome and Ephesus and Corinth, there was a great sharing of ideas. And so the ideas and the philosophies that, were, that budded and blossomed in, in Greek thought just, just flourished in Rome's peace. And so this was the perfect time for the gospel to be spread all over the ancient world. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Again, this is all planned. And so everybody's listening to these ideas and people are sitting down and there's some prosperity from this in a, in a subset of the wealthy population at least. And they're able to just sit and listen. Listen to ideas. But it, it, it was not just philosophical freedom, it was a pluralistic freedom. 
Okay, and so the emperors became enemies to Christianity because it was pluralistic. The only rule in society was that you could not say that is the only way. You, everybody had to have equal share of ideas. There was no truth, but all truth. There was synchronistic worship, emperor worship, the, the Greek pantheon, right? And, and so there was a, a lot of freedom of worship unless you said this was the way, this was the truth, this is the life. At that point, you're, you're telling everyone else your ideas are wrong. And so that, that world hated that. And in fact, the, the emperors would, would declare that Christians had to worship them. Right? They, they could worship Jesus too. But you just can't say that worshiping the emperor is wrong. And so we see a very similar idea to today. One historian puts it this way, the, con- the Christians contravene the tolerant, eclectic spirit of the empire by the absoluteness of their religion and the exclusiveness of their society. Christianity ad- admitted no compromise and was intolerant to all other systems. The Christians could not deviate from the teachings and commands of their master, the Lord Jesus. To maintain their own life and mission, they had to be intolerant compared to the others around them. Many would have gladly have accepted Christ along with Mithra, Isis. But Christianity demanded complete separation. Christ could have no rival. His religion claimed to be absolute, and worshipers of Jesus had to be separate from the world. And that flew in the face of all that Rome taught. And so it was, okay, if you're not going to bow to, to Caesar and Christ then you're going to be fed to the lions. And so emperors became enemies to Christianity. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christians did not flounder. They, they publicly shared not only that, they publicly shared that your worship of all these gods is idolatry. Just like we share today. If you don't worship Jesus, it's idolatry. Right? We don't have all of these many roads to God and you just name him different ways. No, Christianity shares that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And up until maybe 30 years ago, you were able to say that. But now in our society, you can't say that. Uh, now you could say that Allah is the only way and people are okay with that in our society. But if you say Jesus is the only way, well, wait a second now. And so Christianity is looked down. That is the spirit, same spirit of Antichrist. That's the spirit of Antichrist. It's going against Christ. It's saying, yeah, you can have Christ and Buddha, Christ and Allah, but you can't have Christ alone. And so our culture hates this to this day. But the gospel calls people to repent, to leave their idolatry and worship Christ and follow Christ and so you had this group that was, uh, was persecuted, was persecuted. In fact, 57 AD, Paul writes this. Does anyone know who becomes, someone becomes emperor maybe four years before that? His name is Nero. 
You would be the greatest, one of the greatest early persecutors of the church. So I do think we find a similar, and we, we, we find in them this, this similar calling to stand out as light. You can't be light if you're blending in and saying, you know what, everybody's right. I realize you believe that, that Judas died on the cross, but that's okay. No, there's one truth. There's one truth. This is Jesus. That's the nature of truth. Okay, so those are those. This is Rome. This is very similar to our day. We find ourselves in the same place. But in them, in that city, there were these folks that were the called. The called. Those who were the church. And just a few things about this early church, and, and we'll apply this word to ourselves. This subset in Rome, right? So you had, uh, to all of those of you who are in Rome who are called of God. He's not, call, he's not writing it to everyone in Rome. He's writing it to those called of God in Rome. To those who are called of God in Rome. Who are they? Well, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 10, you find that these were uh, spirit-filled Christians. And this is the first little glimpse we have into who began the church in Rome. Paul didn't, Peter didn't, none of the apostles did. We find folks that were Christian because they believed in Jesus in Jerusalem, sent out filled with the Holy Spirit because they're persecuted. They go back home to Rome, and we find a list of them in Acts chapter 2, verse 10, from Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, and visitors from Rome. And so visitors from Rome hear the gospel from Peter preaching that first day of Pentecost. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're sent out all across the ancient world, but sent back to Rome. And so we find here a spirit-filled group that planted the church by God's spirit. Second, look at the youth of the Roman church. They're aged 20 years or less. By that I mean they, they hadn't been Christians long. They, they were born again very early. Very early. And so this is a very early church. They've had very little apostolic influence. It's, it's a church that needs to be stable doctrinally. They need the gospel very clearly preached to them. And then look at the strain of the Roman church. AD 49, Emperor Claudius expelled all Jewish people from the city of Rome. And so there is just... Eight years before Paul wrote this, all the Jewish folks had to leave. That Jewish church was like a huge chunk of the church. The Jewish people in the church is a huge chunk. Everybody leaves. Go all around. We, we find them all around other churches in ancient cities. But then after Claudius dies and Nero takes his place, um, the Jewish people begin to come back. And so you have this, this kind of all right, they're welcoming Jewish people back, but like, just imagine going through that, that, that you have been ostracized from society because of the way you were born, because you're, you're Jewish, you're just no longer welcome here, and you're cast, up, cast aside. What a horrible thing. And, and so you, you feel that, and then, then they come back, and you, wow, my church has grown, and it's all these Gentile people, and I'm kind of glad for that, but... Like, where do I fit in? 
And so you have Jewish people and Gentile people coming back into the church and it becomes a primary theme in Paul's letter to the, those in Rome, as we'll see. And so they needed a message like this. They've come to a city. They've been ostracized and brought back. And even those in Rome, they are fearing that Nero is going to kill them and eventually does. Uh, probably eventually kills Paul. Um, but, but your ideas of the exclusive claims of Jesus are frowned upon. They, they are not popular at all. Um, and you're left to, to wrestle with that at, at work. And you may lose your job for saying this kind of thing. So are you going to be a light? Or are you going to hide your light under a bushel? That's what you're left with. And so you need to come to church and feel a real sense of belonging. You need to come to the community of faith and be recognized, that person is my brother. That person is my sister. I have a heavenly father. And so right up front, and a theme throughout, is this idea of being called. Being called. So we get to the second big idea here. Uh, Those who are called, including you who are called. Who benefits from this letter? It's not everyone in Rome. It's those who are called. We have two sides of this, okay? I'm going to take a minute with this. Two sides of being called. First of all, this side of those who have obeyed. And second of all, this side of those whom God calls, okay? So let's just take a moment with this. Those who have obeyed and those who God calls. First of all, those those who have obeyed the truth... If you read verse 5, 6, and 7 right through, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called. Okay, so this isn't obvious right right up front. And also because I have the the little A's and B's and C's and B's here, I forgot to believe those, but... Um, so, including you who are called, who's he talking about? Including you who are called, or you just, you just read verse 5, says, Through Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about something, an obedience to the faith. And so Paul is preaching, they're preaching, there's this apostolic ministry of preaching the gospel, and people are obeying that Gospel preached by believing. Saying, believe the gospel, repent and believe the gospel. All over Rome, all over Ephesus, all over the ancient world, people are believing the faith, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So first of all, who are those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ? Well, those who have obeyed the heavenly calling. Those who obeyed the heavenly calling. In the context, verse 5 includes that. They've answered this call. And John 1 puts it this way, As many as have received him, to them he gave the authority to be called the sons of God. Right, And so who is called? Well, those who have believed on him. Right, this is an important passage. John, John 1, 12. Um, All who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born... Not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Right, so who is called? 
Those who receive him, those who believe in him. If you receive this message, if you believe in the message of Jesus Christ today, then you are the ones who are called. You are born again. Okay, so in that sense, as you believe, you're born again. Once you believe in Jesus, you're born again. Right? You're, you're called, you believe, and you're born again. Not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So you have this little bit of a, I don't know, I guess this is a centuries-long debate that we're getting into today. Um, But what's interesting here is that in many of these cases where you find one side of the coin, you find the other side of the coin. And so he's saying, you are called if you believe in Jesus. In one sense, like it it just appears there from John 1 that, I'm going to say it this way, faith precedes regeneration. The enemy has received him, who believe in his name, you are given the authority to be born again. But then he goes on and he says, who are born again, not by blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so you were believing in him by the will of God. Okay, so there's this interesting, interesting tension. And the way we put it is, one side of the gate of heaven says this, whosoever will, let him come. You get through the gate, you look on the other side, and there's this sign that says, chosen by God from eternity past. You're like, wait a second, how, how does that happen? Well, the text does give that to us, okay? So let's look at this a little carefully. This the side of the gate, for this side of the gate is those who have obeyed the call to faith are called. Now let's look at the other one. The other side, those whom God calls are called. Okay, you see three points there, and this is very important. I realize this is, is getting to some theology, so please bear with me, all right? Follow this, this is important. Um, let's look at some verses here. The other side of the grade is those who are called, belong to Jesus. That is the meaning of called. God calls all people. First of all, God calls all people to repent. Um, You look at uh, several passages. John 7. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so there's this general call that Jesus shares with everybody. In fact, we know that the Holy Spirit draws all men to follow. He's convicting the world of sin, knowledge, and just righteousness and judgment to this day. But, but if you look at the text here, right, what, what does he say? He says, Including you who are called, right? That's just a passive idea. Those of you who are called are the ones he's writing to. You kind of feel this sometimes, right? You're waiting for a call back, and and it can be embarrassing. Um, This is the, the passive nature of that word. 
You go through the dreaded interview phase, and, and as you leave the door, they say, don't call us. What do they say? We'll call you. And, and so it's definitely passive. It's not something you do. It's something they do. And so you look at Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Did, did, did Paul call himself to be an apostle? No, he's on the Damascus Road, and Jesus says, you are an apostle, and you're going to believe in me, and I'm going to, you're going to take my message right to the ends of the world. And so there is this definitely a passive meaning that, that it's not what you do. It's what God does. God calls you. Maybe someone gives out their phone number, right, in a relational way. Well, they never called you back. Okay, there, there's that passive sense waiting for a person to call. It's not that you cause them to call. And so we find the other side of this gate is very true. Those who are called are those the one that Christ calls to believe. God calls all people to repent and believe the gospel. But those who are chosen will follow that calling. Um, you, you find that all throughout Scripture. I think the important one would be to look in Romans chapter 8. Uh, turn your Bible to Romans 8 and we'll read this together. This is the comforting conclusion here. Um, while you're there, let me just read a few other verses. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2 verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren. Beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. First Timothy, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And I think this is the most important one here because it really fits into the context of, our, of uh, Rome and a sense of belonging. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Right, we love this verse, but we don't read the context. Um, we know that all things do what? Work together for good to those who are what? Called. Right? And so we can claim that as Christians. You belong. You are called. But it goes on. you got to keep reading. All things work together for those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He glorified. Right? And so there's this link. Those he predestined, he foreknew, he called, he justified, and all of those he justified, he did what? He glorified. All the way from eternity past to eternity future. And so you get to where you're glorified, and you look back at that other side of that gate, you say, wait a second, called from, from, the, from the foundation of the world? How is that possible? Because I saw here, whosoever will, let him come. And I can go on the street and say, Jesus calls you to faith and repentance. Believe and you'll be saved. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We can say both of those things. Why? 
Because the Bible says both of those things. And our system of theology can't push Scripture out of its place. We have to let Scripture say what Scripture says. A lot of folks would like to say, wait, Paul, that's not what you... Right? It's not, that's not what it means. No, 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 no. Right? You can't correct the Holy Spirit. What he wrote, he wrote. We have to believe it. We don't understand everything about all this. This is what we do understand. And this is the, the comforting thing for a church in the city. God calls you. God calls you and loves you. You are no longer going to the next foster home, the next foster home, the next trial to see if this fits in. This, maybe this community will accept me. Maybe this community will accept me. You know what? No church is going to be perfect. No family is going to be perfect. You know what's perfect? God. And He calls you to perfect fellowship. And that's the only way to be satisfied in life and eternity. Everything else will fall short. If you're trying to find community acceptance through your church, through your civic organization, even through your family, you're not going to find it. It only comes from Christ. And this is what He says, I call you. I love you. Welcome to my family. And he, and he brings you to the table. And so the prodigal comes and leaves the pigsty. And the father sees him from a long distance and he welcomes him. Kills the fatted calf and brings him home. God called you with effectual love. He loves you today. You cannot claim any works of your own. Well, God, God knew that I loved him. And that's why he chose me. No, God knew we were all rebellious sinners deserving his wrath. And he loved you anyway. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. I am accepted. Why? Because he loved me. That's the only basis. Jesus has died in my place because he loved me. And so the rest of my life is going to be this praise back to him. Right? If we, and the, right, the text will clearly say as we continue on, if you could find any right in yourself, it would not be by grace. But it's by grace. By grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And so today, I just want to encourage you in this city, right? I don't know where everybody's from. I know most of you are not from Queens. And, and perhaps you've come to feel accepted. Perhaps you've come to church to feel accepted. Perhaps you, you've been driven from your own family and, and you just feel that let down after let down after let down. Let me, let me just appeal to you to come to God through Christ and find eternal acceptance through Christ alone. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you do that now? I can appeal to you based on the love of God in Christ to receive, receive eternal inheritance, not based on your works. And so you would just come and say, chosen by the Father's mercy, set apart to serve His Son. Right? Just receive the message and be born again. Not, not based on your works based on Christ alone. And so, I'll be standing in the back lobby, be happy to pray with you, but you don't have to 
do that. You could just call upon the Lord right now. Ask Jesus to save you. Maybe you've, you've felt ostracized by your community to this week. Maybe you've felt ostracized by people at work that have a very different mindset than you. Um, you, you, are, you are a brother and sister here. Right? You are accepted in this church. You're accepted in this family. Uh, and by God's grace, you're accepted eternally. Let's pray.